Today's show is sponsored by ObservePoint. That moment when executives, peers, competitors are questioning the data analysts and scientists reports, their job and credibility are in question. ObservePoint gives data professional confidence in their data and insights by automatically auditing your data collection for errors across the entire website, testing your most important pages and user paths for functionality and accurate data collection, alerting you immediately when something goes wrong, tracking your data quality and QA process over time. You can request a demo at www.observepoint.com forward slash analytics today to learn more about ObservePoint's full data governance capability. Again, that website is www.observepoint.com forward slash analytics today. Today, a podcast series that focuses on big data and analytics and the latest trends in digital world. I'm your co-host, Jeremy Roberts, and with me always is Samir Khan. What is up, Samir? Hey, Jeremy. How's it going? It's fantastic. It's still hot. It's still ridiculously hot here in Texas. Um, I thought maybe I would cook breakfast the other day outside on the hood of my car. Uh, it, it worked. I was able to fry an egg. That's a joke, obviously, but, um, it's funny you say that. Like my daughter actually got a project, uh, she's in middle school. She got a project to make a solar oven. And I was like, okay, maybe there's some complicated you know, stuff that we have to buy now. Well, come to find out all we need is a box and aluminum foil. And in just Texas, leave it outside. You'll cook, you'll cook food. <laughs> Very fantastic. Well, yeah. the thing is, you know, some of those science things are outside of our comfort zone, being marketing and analytics geeks ourselves. But today we have a fantastic guest. So we have Alan Chappelle, and I'm saying that name right. So if you think, if you look at it, it might look like Chapel, but it's Chappelle, like Dave Chappelle, no relation. But welcome to the show, Alan Chappelle. Well, thanks so much for having me, Jeremy. Thanks, Samir. Fantastic. Uh, let's first talk about where you are from. What part of the country are you from? Well, I'm born and raised in Stamford, Connecticut, just outside of New York City, and have lived in mostly New York City uh, for the last 25 years. Fantastic. Okay, so let's get to the first question. So, well, you when, don't when have you... that accent. I've seen a couple of New Yorkers yeah. lately. They have that New York accent. You, no, you... yeah, it's true. I was just thinking about that. That's more of a born and raised in Brooklyn or Queens type of a thing. Oh, okay. When you grew up in Connecticut, we pride ourselves as being the only people in the whole world who don't have an accent. So you have sanitized. <laughs> Weird. I like that. I, that's good. Trivia. Nice. Well, let, let's do this. Let me, let me do his intro first. And once I do this intro, um, you guys are going to be a little bit shocked. You're like, okay, why are you having a, a lawyer on the show? It, it'd be interesting. But now after you hear this, you're like, wow, this is, this guy's pretty cool. So Alan Chappelle is the president of Chappelle and Associates, uh, Associates law firm serving the interactive technology, media, and advertising communities. Uh, he's an outside counsel and CPO to sev uh, several of the leading advertising technology companies. Here's the fun part. He's also a singer and songwriter and recently released a sixth studio album, Two Fishes, which is available on all major streaming platforms and will be uh, in play on almost 150 radio stations in the U.S. He's been touring all over the world, playing packed concerts alongside great bands like Gin Blossoms, 
Little River Band, Everclear, Big Head Todd, TR3, Jacko Pierce, and Edgar Winter. So basically you have more skills than all of us, which is cool. Thank you. <laughs> right? um, and then he graduated from the Fordham University School of Law with a major in human rights and EC law and a self-proclaimed marketing analytics geeks of the likes of Samir and I. Welcome to the show. <laughs> this is super fantastic. Well, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I just did a concert with Gin Blossoms this past weekend. Very cool. Well, yeah, well, then, uh, Alan, don't well, expect us to let you go without singing a line or two. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, crap, crap. Why? Okay, well, I didn't, I didn't have my. Uh, my I mean, come here. on, six studio <laughs> albums, and you are not going to sing for us. That's not possible. We we want our listeners to have a taste of it. Well, and- well let's do this. We can warm you up uh, for the for the uh, questions, and near the end, when you get all warmed up, we'll let you go. How about that? That sounds perfect. Okay, let's do this. Okay, so question number one, right? So you're a lawyer by trade, um, marketing and analytics enthusiast and fanatic, um, also a singer-songwriter at the same time. So you've had this really strange, fantastic, interesting, exciting career. Um, we'll get into the second part of that question, but how did you get there? How, how do you do that? How do they, how do they mix? Because most people would think left brain, a right brain, you're a lawyer, you're kind of those black and white go by the law, but now you're free flowing gray area with music. What? Creativity. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. Okay. Well, Very well, cool. I'm always surprised by how many, if you go into a lot of ad tech companies, you see basses and guitars all over the office. There's a Most lot tech of consultants are musicians yeah. also. A, a bunch of a bunch of them. So for me, I was a I was a touring musician, and then I hit a certain point in my life where I thought I needed to get a real job, hmm. and uh, decided to. But before I did that, I went and lived in India and played with the band there. Hmm. And that was sort of my final hurrah, singing with the band uh, in uh, Bombay for a while. Which, which band? And, I'm from Bombay. Was a, band, a band called Kalki. Okay, I think I've heard uh, of it. We were That's- huge. Well, I don't know how huge we were, but we were pretty big. And we, we, we had a, a record deal with BMG. But then I, I came back and went to law school and thought I was going to grow up and then started working while I was at law school at this company called Jupiter Research mm-hmm. and realized that, you know what, because everybody there was a musician and everybody there was a creative type of one or another. And, um, and so, uh, you know, did my three and a half years at Fordham Law uh, and then graduated in December of 2000. Uh, just at the point where the first version of the internet had officially burned to the ground. Yeah. And, yeah. and so no law firm would have me. So I went to double click in, in their research mm-hmm. team for a while and went to a couple of email marketing companies. And in 2004, I decided, you know what, I, I, there's something to this privacy thing. And I'm going to just put my shingle out as this internet lawyer. But I, I'd never been to a firm. So when I tell you that I am an analytics and marketing geek, it's because I, I relate to that mindset a lot better yeah. than I typically relate to working with a, a room full of lawyers. Hmm. Very cool. Very so then, then when you, does any of this, I guess when you've, uh, you know, throughout this career, were you self-enlightened for the chain? Did you have um, some influence? Did you have a mentor? Did somebody push you? Was there um, like struck by lightning, something happened, fall off a chair and like the, 
it, it's like when Doc Brown fell off the toilet and saw the flux capacitor, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, that's a great analogy. Yeah. So I, I have so many people who were so helpful to me in, in a bunch of different ways. And I'll just say two. you know, an old friend of mine, we, we were literally I'd gotten laid off from my last sales gig and was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And we were literally having beers and we just started talking. It's like, well, why don't we just do this consulting thing? And we ended up doing separate things, but it was just, he turned my mind on to what was possible. And I'm grateful to him for that. The second one, which may not seem like a really big one, but it turns out it was a guy named Gene DeRose, who is the CEO of Jupiter Research. Mm -hmm. And I went and had a drink with him when I was starting my company. And he was like, you know, Alan, here's what I would do. Two things, write a blog on privacy issues. Every single day, have two or three points of view on that. Number one, number two, Two, put a list together of everybody who's in the privacy space and get 15 minutes with from them. Don't ask them for a job. What's keeping them up at night? And literally those two things, just doing almost nothing else, but those two things over a year, I was able to build a book of business and a book of revenue uh, because if you understand what is keeping people up at night, your ability to help them fix it goes up exponentially. Hmm. I don't know if that was no, the answer you're looking that, for. I like that. Yeah, that's actually that's actually very interesting. And you know, kind of a lot of people, especially in the consulting area, uh, they're spending time on LinkedIn trying to sell their product and services. And now, like LinkedIn is just every day you get a lot of sales messages in there. Versus where you came in and you said, "Okay, I'm going to connect with you." And so, you know, I would like to definitely dive in and double down on that. So, let's say if uh, you're trying to reach out to a company and you just want to have a dialogue. What would you go on LinkedIn and tell them? Oh, um, well, if I were to ping them on LinkedIn, and let's just say I was just starting out, here's what I would say. Is, is, and I, I skipped a step here. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the line, write for trade pubs. Now, in digital media, you know, back in 2004, there were no shortage of, of trade pubs, and they all love free content. And so I would like reach out to the CEOs of the top five companies in a particular vertical and tell them that uh, iMedia had asked me to write an article on this particular subject. Can I have 20 or 30 minutes? Gotcha. And every single one of those things, number one, I learn a ton. And every single one of those things becomes an implicit job interview. Now, I'm going to invade his privacy by just sharing one name because it's sort of an important one in my life. Uh, I met a guy named Omar Tawakal, who at the time was at a company called Revenue Science, which turned eventually into Audience Science. But uh, Omar and I worked very closely when he founded uh, BlueKai, which was the first data uh, audience company, and then uh, Voicera, uh, his uh, subsequent company. Um, All that came from one call where I wanted to understand what behavioral targeting was and wanted to write an article on. Nice. That, that, that's love it. Very cool. Okay. So before we forget this, we got to, we're going to give you the plug. Here's, here's the plug now, please tell us, give your, uh, let's, let's talk about the pitch for Chappelle and associates. What do you guys specialize in? What are you about? Um, You know, give us the rundown. Yeah, so I, I've been around a while now, and the way I'm pitching myself now is that I'm outside counsel and effectively chief privacy officer to a whole bunch of premium ad tech and martech companies. I brought, I don't know, 12, 15 of them to exit in one way or another over the years. And the, one of the things that I'm able to do that I don't think a lot of law firms are able to do is because I understand the business side of things, I'm able to 
I, the, it isn't about how much time I'm spending for you. It's about the value that I'm driving. I am making sure that you as the CEO, COO, VP of what have you are not spending time on privacy other than exactly what you need to do. So some of that is, I tell you the things that are distractions and not to pay attention to. And I say, we need, but we need to focus on these three, three things. Hmm. But also uh, when you need a, a question answered, you know, you're trying to get an RFP done, you're trying to work with, you know, the group M's of the world or the IPGs. Um, I, I know what they, how they need to have things formatted. I understand how their privacy people work. In fact, I've worked with a lot of them over the years in one capacity or another. And so for me, that it's, it's really about, you know, I can take privacy off the table as a risk proposition for you. So that's interesting. And you talk a lot about, you know, it seems like you have a lot of passion for privacy and personal data. And interestingly, today, the privacy landscape, the PII landscape is changing. Every single day we hear a breach, every single day we hear a company getting uh, slapped by new fines and stuff like that. Uh, with this changing landscape and with more and more uh, data and businesses coming online, especially COVID, just uh, increase uh, the rate of businesses that are moving online. What are the implications from a legal standpoint of this chain? Like, how, how do you think about this? Well, it, it sort of depends on the type of business that you're talking to. Most of my revenue comes from ad tech martech. So by definition, that means it's generally non-sensitive data. And in the ad tech world, most of it is what they call pseudonymous, where it might identify a device, but it doesn't identify uh, a person. Now, what's one of the things, and there's like 10 storylines that are fascinating to me, but one of the things that's really fascinating now is that you're starting to see uh, companies that are not necessarily the ad tech companies, but the brands, uh, the publishers have been involved for a little bit for a number of years, but you're seeing more and more entities say, oh, we've got the store of, you know, IoT data. Or if you're a software company, you know how much data they collect that is actually pseudonymous, but super helpful if, yeah. if leveraged in the right way, if, you know, from a, from a good analytics geek. Um, and anyway, so, so for me, that's the really fascinating thing is that there's so much data. Now, that type of data now, there are risks involved in that type of data, but when you say things like data breach, that isn't necessarily the biggest risk. Um, it, it, uh, because when you think data breach, you think of things like government ID or credit card number, social security number, and then you know credit report monitoring and all those, those kind of scary things. Um, I don't deal a ton in that world. I do have some clients who sort of dabble in that area, but usually when I say dabble, I mean, they take that type of data, they pseudonymize it or they aggregate it so that it, it is, even if breach would, would unlikely uh, require a notification because it is so, uh, uh, it has been de desensitized, I guess, or desensitized, uh, less mm -hmm. So let, let's uh, re, uh, let's define that word. We like to do this because I'm sure there's somebody listening who's looking up this word. They're like, did he say pseudonymous? Did he, what what is this word? So let's make sure that if you can, um, Alan, let's define this for our audience. We'd like to make sure that we don't use colloquialisms that are not understood. Yeah, so I, I like to think of the world, and, and I'm probably oversimplifying, but sometimes it's it. helpful to do that. So I like to think of the world in, in terms of three basic categories of data. You've got sensitive identifiable data, like the government ID, the credit card number, that if breached or if it fell into the wrong hands, you know, you 
some real tangible harm phone number or a postal address. And I say it's identifiable because with that data point, you can usually identify or locate a particular person. You know that Chappelle at Gmail is Alan Chappelle, for, yeah. for example. Um, pseudonymous data doesn't generally uh, enable you to identify an actual person, but rather what it allows you to do is you know that ID 12345, for example, is uh, a Safari browser on a, you know, in an Apple OS. And mm -hmm. that when you see that ID on Monday, and then you, you see that same ID on Thursday, you can reasonably infer that it is the same, the same Safari person. browser. Yeah. And that probably doesn't matter in any other context except for uh, analytics and ad serving. In an advertising context, it's, it's very helpful because you can then know that this device has been exposed to an ad or has taken some action uh, on Monday and Thursday. And so that's pseudonymous data. Now, uh, as somebody who's been in this space a while, I can tell you that until you know, five to seven years ago, Many companies who only collected pseudonymous data were not really subject to privacy rules as they exist in current law. And uh, the, the big sea change was the Until general the data. GDPR, is that the case? Or Yeah, G GDPR went out of their way to define uh, pseudonymous identifiers as personal data. Now, some of the reason they did that is they wanted to make sure that that data was covered under the scope of their law. Um, th there's also a particular sensitivity in, in Europe to uh, uh, digital advertising, pseudonymous IDs, the placement of cookies, th that, that type of thing. But one of the clear reasons is they wanted to make sure that this pseudonymous data was covered to one extent or another under the law's rule set. Gotcha. Okay, so that's interesting. So let's talk about the human side of things, right? When you, when you talk about privacy, there is always a human behind the roles, uh, the people who are managing privacy. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting. And you, you touched on the subject uh, before is, uh, so in your view, what you're saying that it's very important to define the roles in terms of who's going to do what in the organization, or maybe they're hiring an external resources like your firm or something like that. So when you think about uh, you know, capitalizing on these roles, you talk about the privacy compliance team and the privacy strategy team. Can you elaborate on those roles and how do they fit together? Sure. So, so just to give a little bit of background, when I started in privacy, I think there were 500, maybe 750 people in the world who were members of the International Association of Privacy Professionals. Hmm. I would be shocked if that was less than, you know, uh, how, you know uh, it, it, you're in the millions now. Uh, they, they have a huge, huge membership. And, and so when I started, if you were a privacy pro, you sort of did anything and everything. But a lot of what your, your, your job was, was on the compliance side, on the X's and O's and the tactical. Mm -hmm. As privacy has developed as a, strat, as, as a profession, I am seeing a lot more bifurcation of roles so that you have one group who is solely focused on the compliance side, the X's and O's, the, you know, um, uh, the, the data flows. Uh, and that's really, really important stuff. That's the stuff that makes sure that you don't get, you know, a call from the California Attorney General or the Federal Trade Commission or something. Yeah. Um, but there's a, a, a growing side of the business that's much more strategic and that you, you really want somebody who uh, understands what 
chessboard is being what, what the chessboard looks like. So I'm Ash uh, Apple, but, but I will say that a lot of their moves have you know talked about privacy, but have been as much about you know enabling things in their own particular business model. Now you need somebody on your team that sees the chessboard to know exactly what's going on and why certain moves are happening. And then you need who's going to be able to tell you what the likelihood certain policies implemented are. So some yeah. of that is legal, you know, is the U S finally have a privacy law in 2022. And right now I'd say that's 50, 50 at best, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, what is going to come out of the privacy sandbox, you know, is, is flock, going to be a thing. And right now that's looking pretty unlikely, but, but, you know, the, the Ouija board could head in a different direction. But anyway, my larger point here is that you really need some people or, or at least somebody who's thinking this stuff through and it's no longer, or it's, it's, it's increasingly difficult to, to have just one person do that for you. What I've seen with my business is when I'm dealing with a, you know, a 20 person startup, I'm the privacy person. So I'm doing both of those things. But as I, I've worked with companies now, you know, some companies 10, 15 years, or if I work with a, I don't work with them, but a company the size of Adobe, you know, they don't need me to do the X's and O's, but I might be a valuable input to their strategy uh, as they try to figure out how they want to position things. Adobe's kind of a big company. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that's great. This is slightly sizable, but you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So next one um, we're talking about in a, this challenging environment, right? There's a lot of brands out there, a lot of companies out there trying to figure out um, how do they increase uh, their transparency or they're sitting there trying to communicate privacy information to their customers. What's the best path forward to that? Is there, is there something to go online? Do they need to follow some type of directive? Is it, is this free flowing? Is this organic? Is there a methodology to the madness? What's your uh, what's your recommendation there? I, I think it's organic and free flowing. I mean, I, you know, at the end of the day, if I, if you follow Apple's, so I guess I am bashing them. I've moved over. If you follow <laughs> Apple's Apple's strategy, and I say this is from the outside, you know, of the outside looking in, make really, really, really good stuff that mm -hmm. works. And don't be super transparent about exactly what's going on under the covers and you're going to be fine. On some level, Apple may have made a mistake by announcing the, the child porn scanning tool as a benefit. And sometimes that may be as uh, much of an issue of them drinking their own Kool-Aid a little bit too much and thinking that everything they do uh, automatically turns to gold. Okay, so not everybody's Apple. Um, I think trans, it, it depends on what your, your model is, but if you're making Coca-Cola, mm -hmm. you know, I think you should provide information about how you're doing things, what data that you're, you know, uh, you're collecting, all that kinds of good stuff. But I don't think if you're Coca-Cola, that's something you necessarily need to lead with. I think with your Coca-Cola, you need to pick vendors who are smart and not overly aggressive so as to make sure they don't put you on the cover of the Wall Street Journal. Um, uh, now, if you're a tech vendor who end up tend to be uh, what, what we say in the Irish community where I was raised, the, the proverbial redheaded stepchildren, mm -hmm. um, those guys, I think, are held to a little bit of a different standard. And perhaps you can say rightly so. But, uh, you know, 
for that type of company, I think you need to offer uh, enhanced transparency. Mm-hmm. I think you need to be always thinking about what is the thing that can that you can do that can put you in the top quartile of you know the ongoing best practice standards as they are emerging, and what yeah. are the things you can do. Um, you know, they, they go above and beyond you know, industry standard, the DEA or NAI code or, or, or what it's all, you. it's all about the CYA, right. You know, cause that's what you got to do, but there, uh, there's kind of a funny saying, you know, you yeah. don't, I don't have to run the bear. I just have to outrun my friends. Yeah. 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 Actually, I heard that from that's a true. guy. That's, that's very true. I heard that last weekend from a guy who lived in Alaska and I was like, okay. <laughs> Some guy from Alaska is like, you don't have to out, you know, he said, you don't have to out swim the bear. You just have to out swim your friends. I was like, okay, <laughs> I don't want to swim in the same water yeah. as a bear, but <laughs> I don't know that I want to swim in Alaska. No. Um, well, think, speaking of that, you're talking about stories, right? So you got to, uh, let's see if you got a good story to tell the listeners. Do you have something to where a good privacy issue came across your practice? Something that might be pretty interesting where the listeners are going to say, yeah, that was pretty bad, or that was kind of a dumb move on their part. Or, or that I can relate to, right? Something yeah. that our yeah. listeners can relate to, something <laughs> you can, came across your uh, day-to-day practice. Well, he, here's one thing that comes to mind. So, and this is, I mean, th- this is at least 10 years ago. So I guess the statute of limitations is, you know, it has passed or, or whatever, but it was, it yeah, was, you uh, don't have to the, name anyone. Good choice. No, no, I, 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 of course won't. When people say something to me, it's absolutely, uh, it, it's, you know, it's absolutely confidential, but it was a funny one. Cause it, it, to me, it, it separates me from a lot of other privacy people. So, uh, the co-founder of a, of a longtime client took me aside and said, he had this really, really cool idea. And he figured out this hack to printers which would allow him to pull a unique ID from printers, uh, from like an HP printer. And because he had that unique ID, it allowed a data feed of a whole bunch of other data that Kennedy probably didn't ha- wasn't entitled to have. And he, he walked me through on a whiteboard this huge elaborate thing that he had put together. Now, I think many other privacy people would have either left the room or started screaming at him. And my approach was to at least acknowledge the that's a brilliant idea like there's no way in the world and i i went and i talked to him for five minutes saying look i you're a genius for thinking this through like this 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 and then like two minutes into my my little little gush he goes but there's no way in the world i can do it and i'm like yeah (laughs) no way (laughs) it's it Sounds too good to be shady, right? You but know. You, 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 you know, on some level, you're dealing with people and you want the entrepreneurs to try to find the gray area and the seams. Yep. And, and, it, and it, you, can't, you can't leave them thinking that if they bring you in, you're going to judge them or you're going to, or you're going to, you know, tell on them or something. No, you're there as a partner and you're there to help them mm-hmm. be better entrepreneurs. And, and by the way, this same entrepreneur came up with another idea, which was even better, and they implemented it and it was really helpful to their bottom line. And so, and I don't know, but there was a couple of problems with it. And I feel like if I had gone in and spit on the first idea, I may not have had the opportunity to help with the second idea. True. 
Yeah. Sure, I, and, I, I and, guess, and then, you know, one of the it. things that yeah. that's absolutely great you what you said, Alan, is in the initial stages. And we had a podcast number 63 with Steve Hosman. Uh, he's a he's a founder of the Startup Accelerator. He said the same thing that initially when you have an idea, don't tell anyone even like don't you don't even tell your family members unless you just sit on it and develop and you know develop a prototype or an MVP where you're able to show what exactly the idea is, because. A lot of cases, even though the idea might be great, even though your family members will think in the good faith for you, uh, they'll they'll just shut it down. Right? They'll say, oh, yeah, that's not many people did that already or it's not useful. So you, what you just articulated is kind of reiteration of what uh, Steve said in the podcast 63 and the listeners should go check it out. Exactly the same thing. Like you don't want to kill the idea before it starts to fruition, like before it starts mm-hmm. becoming the flower and eventually turning the fruit. Yeah, you know, it's it's also true, by the way, for songwriting, hmm. that w- when you write a demo, I don't care who you are, you are already rehearsing your acceptance speech at the Grammys. Cool. You are thinking that that demo is the best thing ever. The last thing you should do is play it for anybody until like, give it a week and see, because a, a lot of time the luster tends to fall off the, yeah. the, the brilliant idea. It, or kind of you the found a way to song more, right? And correct me if I'm wrong, you know, sometime I used to li- listen to new songs. Then you listen to the first time, you're like, nah, it's not my thing. And then you start listening over and over again. Then you're like, you just catch on. So it's kind of go both yeah. ways. Yep. I was like that about Baby Shark, but that's just me, you know. <laughs> so, so one, one of the yeah. similar questions that uh, Jeremy asked, like I had in mind was, you know, let's assume in um, a, a brand and it, this is a hypothetical situation, right? So let's assume a brand, they're dealing with a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, maybe advertising data and they got in trouble. Uh, what advice would you give them? Like, how is the, what is the best possible way for them to get out of this and, uh, you know, kind of sanitize themselves and go back to doing business as usual. Well, stay out of trouble, right? Or get back to jail yeah. or not get fined or. Yeah, I mean, bad. that's always the best thing is to invest enough that that those missteps are fewer and further between. Um, because, you know, I, I found that even most regulators are pretty patient and understanding. I know that that's not what they lead with. But if you can document your thought process, even mm-hmm. if somewhere along the line you dropped the ball or even you screwed up, mm-hmm. you, your, the, your risk is usually a lot lower. Um, so, so the first thing is you, you, you do want to have a process in place and, and, and you want to have thought this through. Now, the, the, the net outcome of that is going to be you're probably going to have fewer times where you're, you know, where something is blown up in your face. Yeah. So, okay, let's say, you know, something ha- something did, does blow up in your face. I think your best bet is, you know, to, to sit down, to, to triage it as quickly as you can to really understand what's going on and then just be straight with folks. And, and when I say that, it's not necessarily just consumers. It's your partners and your vendors. I mean, mm-hmm. increasingly now in, in, in the way the world operates, you have obligations upstream and downstream to a number of other entities in the event that you screw up and you, yeah. you may have to notify the, them in the event that, you know, you've got a call from a regulator. You may have to, if you had a, a security incident that involved the breach of, uh, uh, of data, you may need to make some notifications. So really your first thing is, is to really understand, okay, 
You know, before we go off half cocked, let's understand what it is that we're dealing with. And then once you can, once you're there, then, then you can at least put together a strategy for, okay, well, here are the six things that need to happen in the next, you know, 24 hours. Okay. Well, speaking of lists, right. A lot of times you're going to start to see, you know, mergers, acquisitions, um, you know, even, you know, even a lot of companies doing their due diligence, right. Going in and testing the waters to see if there's a possible M&A. So with that, how do you help all these companies with their exits, you know, how do you go about helping? Um, let's say, is it through the uh, the CEO, the founder? Is it the board? You know, what's your approach? What's your thoughts on that? Well, yeah. So the thing to keep in mind is that you know sometimes there's a going in assumption that the company acquiring you really understands how your business operates. <laughs> And in my yeah. experience, that is often not the case. Exactly. And so, so what often ends up being my role in these types of things is to, is to translate from marketing geek to privacy geek mm-hmm. from the perspective of the acquirer's privacy team. Because they may, they may not fully understand the business and what, what typically, and this is human nature, they will apply the rule set that they know that is applicable to their business and then ask you why you are not applying that same rule set to your business. And usually the answer is, is that, well, because we're doing something a little bit different, it's not quite the same rule set, but you know, in your business where you do X, Y, and Z, see, we don't have to quite do that, but we get there by doing A, B, and C, and here's why that's important, or here's why that's, and, and so you can kind of help bridge those types of gaps. For, for me, I think is, is probably one of the, the, uh, the larger values that I bring to the table. And then the other thing is just to, you know, you get these, you know, 30 page questionnaires about every aspect of your business. And, and I'm able to frame a lot of the answers in context of not only, uh, you know, how, why we're answering this question this way as this business, but also, uh, you know, put it into some historical context because I may know how, you know, 10 other businesses who are similar are operating. And I can say, look, mm-hmm. we're not an outlier here. I know this seems like you'd say, well, why does it operate this way? Well, the reason it operates this way is because some things that happened in 1999, and I'm happy to go into those if you want, but, you know, and, but you can really put things in the, book, in the, the proper context for folks and get them comfortable. Interesting. Cool. So maybe you want to go with the kind of last one and then I'll follow up. Yeah, no, I think one of the things that I had in mind was uh, especially on the show when we get our uh, guests and we we kind of understand where they're coming from, their background. There's always something that they have not shared in the previous podcast that they have been in previous shows they have been. So we're always uh, kind of challenge our guests and say, hey, Share something that you have never done before. So we would like to do the same thing with you, Alan. Like Propi- if you have proprietary something very interesting, <laughs> anything that you would like to share with our listeners, <laughs> that would be fantastic. Well, well, one thing I should mention, which which candidly I don't think I've ever mentioned in another call, is you know that you know I, I work pretty closely with the Ad Colony team, and I think you know they were recently purchased by Digital Turbine, and I'm obviously not going to say specifically, uh, you know, any of the due diligence questions or answers there, but I think. That, what, what was attractive uh, as somebody sitting in Ad Colony was some of Digital Turbine's on-device capabilities. And we thought that the synergies between the two companies made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Now, t- 
to, to, to more directly answer your question, the one thing that nobody, I've never said to anybody, uh, I'm sort of ambidextrous, but if you ask me, I throw and bat righty, I play tennis lefty. I don't know why okay, I, 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 play, sort of I play tennis lefty too. So we're kind yeah. of in the same boat that way. <laughs> um, it makes for a great bat hit backhand, by the way, if you, cause if you bat this way and then your backhand is like this, you get a nice powerful one. Hmm. Um, okay. I, I, I need to work on that. My backhand is not that great. <laughs> My forehand's really good. <laughs> Very cool. Nice. So, let, so let's do this. We've got you warmed up, right? You've done your sound check and everything. Um, I think it's time to put you on stage here. Uh, okay. So I, here's what I'm going to do. And hopefully this works for you guys. You probably oh, have any hey. capability if it doesn't. Whatever you want to do. If so, you want to break out a, if you want to break out a band and you have like three people come up behind you <laughs> with like backup singers, whatever, dude, go that, that would be pretty cool. No, what I was going to do is just say this. So every once in a while, a song comes to me in a dream. Hmm, cool. And this particular song that I'm going to sing, uh, uh, the dream went like this. It's sort of a strange one. Uh, I was at a rock concert and the lead singer was a 70 year old hippie. He was uh, harnessed from the top of the stage. So he was literally floating above the stage in one of those contraptions that the hair metal bands used to use back in the eighties. Yeah. He was playing the violin. He was dressed in a tutu and he had pink wings. Now, <laughs> Here's the part where it influenced me on the song. He sang, <laughs> grow old. That's all he sang. That's all I remember, other than all the backdrop stuff. And, uh, uh, well, I came up with this, you know. I used to stay up all night long. Used to lay in bed all day. I used to want to drink till I fell down. Trying to chase the blues away. I went through the brink of life, and now I know just what I need. Will you grow old with me? Ooh, anyway, that's nice. Very good. I like it. <laughs> that's I fantastic. Like it. it killed at the Gin Blossom show on, on Sunday. Yeah. Nice. So are, are you, are you up there acoustic? You got a full band behind you or how's that work? Well, so in COVID times, they're really trying to keep it limited in terms of the number of people who are backstage. Mm -hmm. So I seem to be getting a lot more interest in just me playing solo piano shows, yeah. which is great. It's a lot of fun. I, I have a six piece band based in New York. And when we open for Everclear in mid October, uh, I'll have my whole band with me. We'll be at Sony Hall on October 14th. Oh, what is nice. the name of Very the band? Good. Or if somebody were to search you in Ticketmaster, how does that pop up? What, what name? Just under my last name, C-H-A-P-E-L-L. -L. It's on Spotify. You can just look up, uh, just look up Chappelle. And, and uh, I'm also playing a show with Lisa Loeb on uh, October 16th. That was a solo Last I saw her was on that commercial. Obviously, everybody saw her on that commercial, but um, I think it was yeah. for an insurance commercial. She still sounds great. Fantastic. We'll, we'll probably have a link uh, to Spotify yeah. show notes. Yeah. Definitely. Have to do that. Great. Well, this has been really great. Um, this has been extremely unique. We, this is your, actually, you're our second singing guest. Um, our, our first singing guest was our buddy Kai Fang out of, um, out of Germany, who works for Adidas. 
uh, he actually wrote a song on data and analytics. It was, it was, it was cool. <laughs> it was cool. And, and, and Alan, like now we need to challenge you to write a song on privacy. Yeah. We would love to have that some point. <laughs> That'll be fun. <laughs> We're the only podcast that does this, right? You have like data and analytics, like, you know, music. So <laughs> I'll have to do that. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, that will be. And we'll bring you back for the song just because of the song. We will we'll have you back. <laughs> Fantastic. Very cool. This has been Very great. Good. Well, um, this has been this has been great. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we love it and we truly enjoyed it. I'm pretty sure our listeners will enjoy it as well. And, yeah, uh, and it's been great. I mean, we, we as singer, we've had tons of people reach out to us who want to be on the show. Um, we've had all these great uh, guests. I mean, Alan, this is awesome stuff. Love it. Yeah. So um, for the listeners, so. please keep us giving your love. And uh, that's what we want. And that's what we uh, need. We need referrals, great referrals like Alan and a couple of other last guests and all of the guests that had on the show. They're just phenomenal. We love it. So keep your love coming to us. Keep your appreciation. And that's what drives both Jeremy and I. Rock on. Let's do good. This. You guys are really good at what you do. And it shows. It shows that you love it, which is, yeah. I think, the most important thing in life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we, we love this. We've been doing this since, what, 2015 now, Samir? Yeah, it's been six years. It's wow. been fun. Yeah. It's yeah. Been oh, fun. Good for you. <laughs> very good. Very good. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Alan. Again, thank you so much for being a guest. And we will uh, uh, close it with uh, a fantastic song that you had there. Thank you for joining Analytics today.